we think about positivity as inspirational, mindful, happy, optimistic, and grateful. And those five elements are the elements that we look at in an organization and we study. We form what's called the positivity quotient, evaluating those five measures in an organization. And what we know to be true is the higher the positivity quotient, the more people feel that they belong in the organization, number one. And number two, the more the company is able to achieve its desired future state. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a coach here at Quantivos. And our guest today is returning. It is Brad Deitzer. Brad was here for our first anniversary episode, actually, episode 52 back on October 18th, where we talked about the first half of his book, Belonging Rules. Today, we're diving into the second half. Welcome back, Brad. Thanks. I'm excited to have been part of the first anniversary celebration. So, Brad, before we dive into the second part of the book, I want to just remind our listeners of what those rules are. But before we do that, I want to dive into something you and I were just talking about. Why is the book not the belonging rules? It's interesting. The book had a number of different titles to it when we were in, in the writing phase of it. And then uh, one of the versions was the belonging rules and the other was just belonging rules. And at the end, we chose to go with belonging rules because I love the double meaning of it. I love the meaning of, but we have five belonging rules and these are the five belonging rules. But it also, based on the research and based on what we talked about our first time, belonging rules. And it rules in our organizations. And as we talked about, the research is really clear that it rules over strategy, it rules over culture, and it is now the number one driver in organizations of employee satisfaction, of employee engagement, of performance. So that's where we got the name of it. Great. Thank you. Again, in our episode back in October, we really dove into the meaning of each of the rules. Today, we want to dive into how do we leverage them. The rules themselves turn into the power. Listen without labels. Choose identity over purpose. Challenge everything and demand 100% of the truth. As you move into the second half of the book, you write, there is a collective outcry for human-centered leaders who cement cultures of belonging in their organizations. And then you go on to say, the leader of you, the only label I believe is appropriate for each of us, regardless of your role, title, or place in life, requires more than your people. It requires you to prioritize yourself first. I don't know if anyone has ever said to you that sometimes you say things that are not aligned with generally 
accepted beliefs. Prioritize yourself first, Brad. Come on. I think that leaders give so much and so much is expected of leaders. And we do research with leaders. We talk to leaders. We coach with leaders. And it's always about my people. It's always about what I can do for someone else. But if our tank is not full and if we aren't in a good place for ourselves, that energy and that spreads to our people. And so I always believe that the health, well-being, the balance of a leader, leader has to start with themselves. One of my favorite exercises, and it's really a hard exercise, is we always talk with leaders about gratitude. And if I ask you, Brian, what are you grateful for? You know, we get our list of all the things I'm grateful for. But rarely is that what I'm grateful for is about things about me. And so I have this exercise called gratitude where I ask leaders to every single day for 30 days to write down one thing that they are grateful for about themselves. Let's prioritize yourself first. What are you grateful for about you? And you can't repeat it any day over the 30 days. It's hard. If you find some, if there's someone you love, someone you work with, yeah, it's easy to go, oh my gosh, they're smart, they're kind, they're giving, they're hardworking, they're this. But when it comes to me, I'm like, mm, I'm kind of stuck here. And so that's why I always think about how do we think about ourselves, our stress level, our health, our well-being, our mental um, stamina, the equanimity that kind of exists in our lives. And so that makes us better to serve others. I'm a big believer in serving others and bringing other people. How do we lead them? But it starts with us. And so that's why I'm a big believer in leader of you. You must lead you first. Put your own mask on first, huh? I think it's there's a reason why they say that. If we can't take care of us, how can we take care and lead of someone else? In the second half of the book, you have a couple of really significant exercises that I think any leader would find value in. And the first of these is the leadership tether. And it ties into what you're saying about reflecting on yourself because the tether really is a reflective exercise. It's a little bit hard, I think, for some people to visualize, but could you talk a little bit about what that exercise is and why it's so important? So I think that our, our leadership, where we are and where we're going, I think that there is a tether. There is a, I think about it as a physical tether, whether it's a rope, piece of leather, whatever it is that connects all our leadership experiences. And when we talk to leaders, we talk about leadership and who they are as a leader and how they have developed as a leader. Invariably, the journey is one that starts sometime in people's 20s, 30s. It starts in different times when we start our coaching work. And so the tether forces us to go back in time and think about our earliest opportunities to lead in our lives. I mean, for me, and sometimes that leadership may just be simply a recognition. And I talk in the book about my earliest time that I was, I was quiet. I was shy. I didn't speak. And so when I think about when I first started in this, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was a leader maybe at camp when I was in my teens. And then you force yourself to go back and go, well, wait a second. When I was in kindergarten, I got the best roster award. When I was eight years old, I got paid $7 to do work for a company. And that was my first time to earn a check. I felt so proud. And it's interesting when you force yourself to go back in time and realize and kind of look holistically at your leadership journey. Um, part of my leadership journey, there's really positives. Part of it is part of my leadership journey is my new jobs I got, 
but I've also had some pretty big setbacks. I've been fired a couple times for things that I look back and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, but in the moment they were hard. That's part of my journey, the ups and the downs. There were times in my career where I worked for a, a company and someone wrote a story about me that wasn't about me. It was about a giant, you know, athletic company, but they made it about me. So that was a super low time for me. But the tether gives us that chance to look across the spectrum of our leadership, take the best things that were that defined us. And what are the times where we really felt we belonged? Obviously, when I was fired, I didn't belong. I was, didn't feel like I belonged. When I was invited in, one of my first clients, a historically black college and university, I was invited in, wow, I belong somewhere I didn't know that I belonged. So all along the way, each of those experiences helped to define who I am as a leader. And, and um, I, I love the exercise. I would add to that. I think some of my most important leadership lessons came out of experiences with other leaders who I highly respected or other leaders who taught me absolutely how I didn't want to be showing up as a leader. We all have those, right? I mean, I have one of my, one of the people who I worked for that I loved. I loved working for him. I learned so much, but it was an abusive environment. And I had books thrown at me. I had chairs thrown at me. I had calls at two in the morning. And it taught me so much about on one hand, how much he loved, but on the other hand, how abusive and how that doesn't create a sense of belonging. I had, when I worked for Ringley Brothers, Born and Bailey Circus, it was really a leadership style designed to mess with me, not, and just see how tough I was. And it was an awful way to lead. But when I look back on it, gosh, am I grateful for that? I'm so grateful because I found a strength and a resilience that when I look back at my tether, I didn't realize that I had. I didn't know I could do it. But when you're living on the road, carrying everything you have, making $250 a week and all the circus tickets you could trade, and you're being sent from city to city to city, trying to barter for what hotel room you can afford just by barter, you find something out about yourself. Would I ever do that to somebody? No. That's like I always say, I, it's something I would never tell someone not to do, but I would never wish it upon them either. So it's one of those things that, so I love the tether because it takes us back to all those times that were important in defining. You write positivity is the foundation of leadership. Why is that? Well, people really don't understand the concept of positivity. It's interesting. We've studied positivity for years. Uh, I have a team of PhDs and psychologists who studied and who look and some of the earliest definitions of positivity were, you know, around the idea of not being negative. And so in our work around this, we have really tried to define positivity through a different lens that is actionable. So many people think positivity is happiness. And let me just show up today and I'm positive. We can do this no matter what. And the reality is the literature and our research and our work in this space, they don't support that. So, Brian, we think about positivity as inspirational, mindful, happy, optimistic, and grateful. And those five elements are the elements that we look at in an organization and we study. We formed what's called the positivity quotient, evaluating those five measures in an organization. And what we know to be true is the higher the positivity quotient, 
the more people feel that they belong in the organization, number one. And number two, the more the company is able to achieve its desired future state. So we also know that if you want to increase your internal net promoter score, which so many companies use to evaluate employee happiness, satisfaction, the positivity quotient is the quickest measure to tell us what's going to happen with that. There's a line that's a very clear line. If it's below a 70 on our scale, the company is likely not to achieve its desired future state. The net promoter score, internal net promoter score, will be low, often negative, and people don't believe, don't feel like they belong, or maybe they just don't want to belong to an organization that doesn't have those core ideas. Inspiration, mindfulness, happiness, optimism, gratitude. I think anyone can understand how they might bring those into their own behavior. As a leader, how do you inspire things like mindfulness or gratitude in your team members? Uh, I think that those are one of my favorite things. I could talk the whole time about about uh, these things. Um, we happen to be re recording this on a Tuesday. And in our office, Tuesday mornings, are we have required mindfulness meditation for our entire company. There's no discussion about it. From 8.30 to 9, we join on Zoom. We have one of the most gifted individuals who's out of New York. And she walks us through a story um, that we share, that we just pause and we share. And then we work to breathe. And what happens is the more pressure that we're under, the less we breathe, the more shallow our breathing is, the less we take time for ourselves. And so we require at this time for us to be together and have that pause. There is a power in the pause. We naturally as breathers, every one of us that breathes, we have a pause. We, we breathe in, we breathe out. There's a pause at the end of that. And so we're, we teach our people and encourage our people to embrace that. It's part of mindfulness. It may be a walk. It may be the meditation. It may be different breathing work. It may be a host of things that, that we offer, that we give people the opportunity to decide what they want to do, except on Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, we've had people who say, I really don't want to do this. And um, one of the people, we said, no problem. You don't have to do this but you will have to find another job. It's that important, and it's our way to give back to the health and well-being. From a gratitude um, and an overall positivity, I believe in ending every meeting with some form of gratitude, some form of positivity, regardless of the content of the meeting, regardless of how good or bad it was. Yesterday, we were meeting with an NFL team, and we were meeting with the the leadership of the team, and they were ready to get out of the meeting. It was an incredible meeting, really rethinking culture and how culture was going to drive performance for them. And at the end of it, I said, can I have six minutes? And they said, well, we, we have to go somewhere. And I said, you're right. I'm going to take you somewhere more special than anywhere you can go. And we did an exercise. And we did an exercise, one of my favorite exercises called I Admire. And it's simply where I look to the person to the right. And if this were you, I'd look at you and say, Brian, I admire you. I admire you for your thoughtfulness, for your preparation, 
for your kindness, for your invitation. You have a way of bringing people in. Brian, I admire you. And then you would look to the next person and you would say, I admire. But what the research tells us is, as leaders, going back to the very first question here, you know, as leaders, we're not told we're admired. There is very little gratitude given to a leader, admiration given to a leader. And so what happens is the leader, every time we have this, someone smiles, they lean in closer to each other, and probably 75 to 80% of the time, there's someone has, is in tears because no one said that. They haven't been acknowledged in that way. And what we know, the research tells us that it's powerful for the individual, but it's the collective admiration. It's that collective gratitude for each other that has a different kind of psychological benefit that then elevates uh, the whole of the group. So whether it's I admire or whether it's simply one positive takeaway or whether it's one thing you're grateful for in a meeting, at, at the end of a meeting, we'll find we have about 20 different ways to do it, including sometimes it's just simply saying, hey, I'm going to let go and put something, I'm going to leave my baggage behind. I'm grateful for what I have, but I'm going to leave this behind. So lots of different ways to to do it, to bring it to life. Uh, it's powerful. At Deitzer, we think about belonging as a space, but as such, it can be hard to conceptualize. At times, it's palpable. Other times, it's vague and undefined. I really wrestled with this one for a while myself and tried to visualize it, and you provide a three-dimensional model of that belonging space, which is a box. Tell us about the box. We are big believers in space, and we are big believers in the idea that the physical spaces that are around us are really, really important to how we create connections. And so the, the traditional office, the traditional office design, great, wonderful, talented office designers, we throw it all away. And our whole thing is, how do we create these intentional spaces. So that's one way to think about space. The other way to think about space is when we invite people in, sometimes it's not physical. It is that energetic space where we actually go out of our way to invite you know, people into our thoughts and our dreams. And we talk a lot about, and as you talked about the belonging box, we're big believers in the box framework, the box metaphor, if you will. And it started with, I think, a conversation we had Several years ago, you know, are you an inside the box thinker or an outside the box thinker? And the reality is it doesn't really matter. What matters is what size is the box. And that size of the box is important because all organizations have certain things that they're not going to extend beyond. And so we think about this box in a very three-dimensional way, but our box of belonging has different sides to it that we think about the social and personal side, which are two sides of the box that really go to the relational system as a leader. And then there's an adaptable side and an intentional side that really go to the agile system. And so we never look about judging what we're good at or not good at. What the box is defined for is to give leaders a framework from which to lead and people a place in which to belong. And so what we know is when you take the construct of the box, knowing the psyche of the workforce, the workforce wants to belong to something bigger than themselves. That's when we create that definition. It gives them a place where they can feel comfortable and they can innovate to the far edges of that box. 
but it gives leaders the opportunity to really evaluate who they are, how they lead, and how they're going to create that invitation into that space. The more I listen to you, the more I hear the message, and it's not surprising, that as a leader, I need to stop focusing outward so much. I need to focus inward more. And I really need to know myself and tune myself in order to lead an organization that truly offers belonging. You have a chapter in the second section on TBD, and we all know TBD is to be determined except for Brad. Except for Brad. I have to be a contrarian, right, on everything. Not everything, but often. TBD, to be designed. To be designed immediately conveys commitment and deliberate action rather than passivity. Tell us about TBD. TBD, to be designed. When we think about this through the lens of to be determined, when something is to be determined, someone else is often going to dictate to us what are the parameters of what's happening. What, where do we see to be D? Well, TBD. Well, it's often when is the show going to be or what's the date going to be or when these things are going to happen. Well, it's TBD. It's to be determined in a future in a future time period. We believe that the human-centered leader is a person who has the ability and the courage and the vulnerability to say, no, my future is not to be determined. It's to be designed. And I'm a big believer in to be designed because there is a creative component. There's a creative spirit and energy that we all have, even if we can't draw and even if we're not the artistic Creativity manifests itself in many, many different ways. And so this idea of design, we design experiences, we design spaces, we design interactions. There's an intentionality that comes with design that I think is fundamental to our ability to get from where we are to where we're going. But it's not just to where we're going, it's to where we want to go, to be determined takes us maybe somewhere else. And so there's great power in reframing uh, and reconditioning the brain to think about the future is to be designed. It is to be designed by me with others, but I have control. We're determined. Yeah, we'll see where we go. There are a couple of pieces of what you're talking about here that I find so incredibly important. I discovered graph paper in fourth grade. Before I left fourth grade, I had determined I was going to be an architect. I could use that graph paper to design buildings. And you know, you get into high school and they start doing career days. And every career day, I got to visit with another architect. And I got into architecture school. And I remember the last critique that I ever received in my studio design course. And if I remember correctly, the teacher was Dr. Ruckmiller who was one of the few PhDs in architecture. And he said, this looks like a concrete Howard Johnson's. That was not a compliment. And I realized that I had the technical competence to be a successful architect, but I didn't have the creativity to be the kind of architect I wanted to be. And with that, I decided I'm not creative. And I went through more than a decade of my life thinking that there is no creativity here. And then I had a, a partner who 
after he tried to teach me how to draw for five years, decided that I should get a camera. Now actually have a photograph in the Museum of Fine Art in Houston. Um, and I came to realize that creativity is not just artistic. I am creative in how I develop our coaching programs here at Quantibos. I am creative in how I think about helping leaders grow. Creativity can take all sorts of forms. And as you said, we are all creative in our own ways. The other thing you talked about is designing the future. And again, so many people think it's not theirs to design. They are determining the future. They are making a choice by choosing not to design the future. And we all have the power to design the future. It's not unlimited. You know, I'm not sure I know anyone who can just make miracles happen. But I do know for myself and for so many people in my life and, and people that I've worked with, they can design futures. We can design futures beyond what we expect if we acknowledge our power to do that. It goes back to the second chapter of the book, Listen Without Labels. Labels are destructive. Labels minimize who we are and our ability to be all that we can be. And so someone telling you, I'll challenge you on this and tell you that, gosh, I'm really fascinated by this concrete Howard Johnson's. And I might argue back saying, that's really cool and kind of creative. And probably today in today's world, that may have a really special place. I don't know. But the idea that someone, nobody has that power over us. And if you go back to the premise that leader of you. So start with the premise of leader of you. All right. If we are the leaders of ourselves, we may be the leaders of two, three, of many. It doesn't really matter. The leader of you. No one has the power to label you. No one has the ability to tell you what you're not because you're the leader. You make that determination about who you are, what you are. And if this is not where I am right now, I have the ability to design what I want to be. I may never be able to be an Olympic swimmer. I may never, maybe in senior Olympics one day, but I may never be able to be a professional tennis player or basketball player. That doesn't mean that I can't go on this journey and design my best course, my best pathway, and then I may be the best here or there, even if it's not that other title, that professional title. And so I, there's so many times we try to deprogram people, if you will, to say, well, in third grade, uh, my wife tells me this, in third grade, she was so proud of this piece of art. And her teacher said, what is that? That's not very good. And so she never, the rest of her schooling until we got married, felt like, you know, hey, I'm this wildly creative person. There's nobody that's more creative and sees the world and is more imaginative than she is. But someone thought that they had the power to label her as not creative, to tell you you're not this. And to that, I, I say, BS, the future is to be designed. We all have the talent and the ability to design something different than where we are right now. Brad, we got to wrap this up again. Last thoughts on belonging rules. I am so proud of the rules. And I'm proud because 
The rules are changing how leaders lead their companies. The rules are impactful because it is making the workplace different for the workforce. It's doing good for the workforce. It's doing good for the bottom line. But what I think I'm most excited about is that belonging rules are now being adopted into people's lives. Whether you use one of the rules, two of the rules, or all five of the rules, they are impacting people in such a positive way. And they're helping them navigate challenge and create these sustainable solutions that driving their own personal performance, driving their own happiness, and we'll go back to where we started, driving their own own positivity. Brad Deitzer, founder of Deitzer and author of Belonging Rules, Five Crucial Actions That Build Unity and Foster Performance. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Brian. I always love talking to you.